This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brim. Today, we talk about UNESCO's new report from the International Commission on the Futures of Education. The report is entitled Reimagining Our Futures Together, a new social contract for education. It launches on Wednesday, November 10th. This social contract was very, very strong. It was built by the end of the 19th century, and it resisted very well throughout the 20th century, and it arrives to our days, in a sense. Many experiences, many innovations, many pedagogical movements, many innovative ideas, but by the end, it resists, it's there. And what we are saying is that this social contract is not uh, enough anymore. With me to discuss the report is Antonio Novoa, who was the chair of the Research Drafting Committee of the International Commission, and is also a professor at the Institute of Education of the University of Lisbon, and currently serves as the Portuguese ambassador to UNESCO. Antonio Novoa, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. So can you tell me just, you know, generally, what is this Futures of Education initiative that UNESCO has put on? This is an initiative that goes in the line of the two former reports on the future of education launched by UNESCO, the one in 72, Learning to Be, and the one in 96, uh, Education, a Treasure Within. And so it's like cycles of 25 years. We are now in a new cycle of 25 years, and we are now doing the third report on the, on the future of education. And it's sort of titled Learning to Become, is that right? It was at the beginning, but it changed. By the end of our work, and the final title is Reimagining Our Futures Together, a New Social Contract for Education. And so we begin with the title, but we end up our report with a different title. Can I ask, why did it change? Because we thought that we wanted the concept of together in the title. We want together in the title. Together, it's, it's, it's a key concept of all the reports, the common conviviality together, building something together, interdependencies. And so we wanted the, the concept of together in the title. And we also wanted the idea of the social contract for education and the idea that we are in a time where we need a new social contract for education. And we thought that learning to become, which was very interesting as a title, but it didn't uh, catch up all the richness of these ideas that we wanted in the the report. Okay, that's quite interesting. And so you said that you know UNESCO every 25 years or so ends up thinking about the future of education. Of course, this is titled or entitled the futures with an S plural of education as if there are multiple futures. You know, it, why is it important today to think about the future or the futures of education instead of just thinking about it in terms of because it's another cycle and it's time to do so. What is it about today that you know leads us to believe it's it's a good time to think about the futures? Yes, of course, it's not only a question of having a institutional cycle. It's because, indeed, we launched this idea before the pandemic of the COVID-19, which is interesting because, in a sense, the pandemic 
answer to your question. But the report was launched before the pandemic. It was our our idea that everything was about to change in education because of technologies, because of a new relation between the families and the communities with education. And we need to rethink about education. And it was the time to do it with boldness. 100 years ago, in 1921, it was the first international congress of the new education movement. And these educators, they told, we want a new education for a new era. We don't have this kind of language anymore. We don't say these kind of things in the report. But we think that it's time to discuss education again, not only in a kind of technicalities, of policy formulation, of more curriculum on one side, more curriculum on the other side, but trying to rethink in a very profound way about the sense of education and what we want for education. And then it came the idea that we didn't want a traditional report. We didn't want something that sometimes it's very arrogant, is very technical in sense of what we have to say, what people need to do or what we didn't want that. And so we think that it was more important to put the plural, the futures, saying there are many futures. There are a diversity of futures. Some are good, some are bad, but people will construct different futures and we need to be open to that. But not only that, I think that the most important thing in this report is that in a sense, if I can play with the words, this is not a report. Thinking in the Marguerite painting, the French surrealists, this is not a pipe. The idea is this is not a report. This is an invitation. It was a huge consultation. Around 1 million people around the world have participated in this consultation. And this is really an invitation. It's voila, our ideas, voila, what we think about the, the problems of education. Let's engage in a conversation. Let's engage in a dialogue. Let's see what are we doing around the globe. What are you doing in many, many different parts, educators, teachers, families, communities? And let's try to bring this together. And in a sense, this is not a report. This is an invitation for dialogue and action. I love that idea that this is not a report. And it makes you think perhaps a bit philosophically. So if it's not a report, what sort of educational problems did this non-report bring up and mention and highlight as being sort of some of the important pieces that we need to engage with and understand to think about these multiple futures? I believe that the most important thing is to try to understand that in a sense the, the social contract for education, and I will go to this idea, which for some people it's not clear, but I'll try to give what is my opinion. This is not the opinion of the commission, this is my opinion. It engages only myself and my reading of this report that it's not a report. Uh, what I think we can say in a very simple way is that in the 19th century, the mid-19th century, a kind of social contract for education was built around the world. It was built and diffused around the world, kind of the world diffusion of the idea of education. There was a, a North American historian, David Tyer, who wrote a wonderful title, and it's a metaphor of this social contract. And the title was The One Best System. The One Best System is a wonderful title because it's the idea that brings together compulsory schooling, mass education, mass schooling, and all the process of compulsory schooling related with national citizenship on the one hand, and on the other hand, 
the idea of a certain way of organizing schools, what we call in this report the school model, or what some people call the grammar of schooling, the way of organizing the classroom, the, the timetable, the, the, the subjects, whatever. This social contract was very, very strong. It was built by the end of the 19th century, and it resisted very well throughout the 20th century, and it arrives to our days, in a sense. Many experiences, many innovations, many pedagogical movements, many innovative ideas, but by the end, it resists. It's there. And what we are saying is that this social contract is not uh, enough anymore. We don't refuse this social contract. We say it needs to be renewed. It needs to be reimagined. And we need a new social contract in order to face what are the problems of education. So in a sense, what you're saying is that there was a social contract when modern mass schooling sort of emerged and spread worldwide. And you can go into pretty much any country and know when you are in a school, right? You can feel a school, even if it might operate slightly differently. You know when you're in one. And that social contract, very much based on national citizenship, economic growth for the nation. You're saying that this report is saying, okay, there's some good things about that social contract, but we need to renew it and we need to potentially further it. So in what directions are we trying to further this new social contract when it comes to schooling and perhaps even when it comes to education more broadly? I think that the two main things that I was uh, trying to explain in terms of the social contract that we have from the 19th century, it was that compulsory schooling was addressed to a certain age group, children from six years old to mm. 10, six years old to 15. And it was our conception of education and of schooling, which was built on the schooling of this age group. And then, of course, it was extended to adult education or whatever. But the basis of our focus was compulsory schooling at children's age or whatever. This is not anymore sweet. We need to think about education throughout life, since born to 100 years old. Life expectancy for the generation of my child will be more than 100 years old. So we need to have a very different conception of what is education throughout life and throughout the different moments of life. And so this new social contract needs to address this idea and not to think about education like schooling of children or everything. That's the first part. Hmm. The second part is this idea of the grammar of schooling, this idea of how schools are organized. And in fact, schools are organized around the classroom, around the space and the time of the classroom. And many of the schools are like a kind of addition of different classrooms, and they are organizing like that in terms of the buildings, in terms of the timetable, in terms of the work of the teacher, in terms of the organization of the students, whatever, whatever. And this grammar of schooling needs to change totally. And needs to change in terms of a diversity of spaces, a diversity of times, a diversity of projects, a diversity of teachers collaborating with each other. That's a strong change in the identity, in the ethos of the teaching profession, in the way of organizing. And so the 
two main ideas hmm. of this new social contract, they go back to the two main ideas of the social contract of the 19th century. And so rethinking about education, not only in terms of the compulsory schooling of children and not thinking about education, mainly in terms of this grammar of school that we inherited from, from the 19th century. And so this is a kind of a, a huge a huge change in the way of thinking the new social contract for education. And it raises a lot of very, perhaps, difficult questions. Um, the first one that comes to my mind is if this new social contract of education and schooling goes far beyond compulsory schooling of certain age groups, who is in charge of that, right? I mean, usually we think of the state as being the one that provides schooling at a compulsory level. In this new conception that this report is proposing, what is the role of the state? In facing this discussion that I was trying to give my opinion on that, we had uh, two problems or two difficulties that we face in the writing of this. The first one is what you are addressing. We are talking about the canon, we are talking about society, we are talking about evolving the communities, all kinds of peoples. And going into that direction, it's very important, it's very important if we don't lose the role of the state. Because if we lose the role of the state and we go into a kind of privatization or a kind of neoliberal tendencies, we'll be at the end with the school that is worse than it's now. And so our idea is how to build this kind of commonness, this kind of involving everyone without losing without losing the importance of the state and of the role of the state. And that's why throughout the report, we talk always about education as a public handover or as a public project and a common good. We are always putting together the public and the canon. And the canon for us, and this is very important in the read, in my reading of the report, the canon for us, and for me in any case, is not a kind of a third way between the public and the private, because that would be the danger of this kind of approach. It's not the third way between the public and the private. No, no. The canon is related with the public. It's a kind of strengthening and broadening the idea of the public, not only in terms of the state, but with the state also, but in terms of a more a stronger involvement of society and, in a sense, if you want a metaphor, a strong involvement of the city, of the police. The idea of the city as being involved in the process of education, but without losing or without diminishing the role of the state. And the second difficulty that we are facing in terms of changing this grammar of the schooling is that, that there are many, many, many what I call in a kind of a negative way futuristic visions of education and futuristic vision of education that go with the death of the school, the end of the teachers, Everything now is a kind of capillarity, ubiquity of education everywhere. And going into that direction, we can lose, which is today one of the most important institutions, it is the schools. And so we wanted to say we want to change the grammar of the schooling, but this is not the same kind of discourse, of the same kind of approach of those that are imagining that education is everywhere, in technologies, in, plat in digital platforms, everywhere. Mm. 
and nowhere at the same time. No, no, that's not our vision. And so, in fact, we are facing in this report these two problems. These two problems was broadening education without losing the state and the public dimension of education and changing the grammar of the schooling without losing the importance of schools as spaces that we see are absolutely crucial for the encounter between teachers and students, for the well-being of the students and for the learning and the knowledge of students. And though this is the kind of tensions that you can feel in the, in the writing of the report, I hope we can find the right balances, but we never know. Readers will say if we did achieve that or if in some times we go in, in a kind of ambiguous declaration or mm. ambiguous statement about what is the future of education. It makes me think that this idea of a new social contract, like it's not actually that new in a way. It's maybe updating the state's role in education and updating the grammar of schooling inside schools, but it's not necessarily constructing anything drastically new. I mean, maybe I'm incorrect here, but th that's what it sounds like, What, at least in your opinion, you're, you're saying. Absolutely. You are absolutely right. And that's the, that's the message that we want to send to the world, is that we don't want to lose, which is historical, historical heritage of probably one of the most important in the history of humanity, which is the schools. And we want to say that was very important and still is very important, but we need to rethink, to re-elaborate, to go ahead. We are not starting a kind of a new thing, a different thing, uh, losing all the historical patrimony of teachers, of schools, of educators, of pedagogies. And that's why in some time, it's not in the report, but in some moments of the report, we were playing with a quote by Hannah Arendt about Rome, where, where she was talking about it's not to build, uh, it's not to build a new Rome, but it's to build Rome anew. Like a kind, so she was playing with this idea and in some moments the idea was there and finally it, it, it disappeared from the report, but you are absolutely right. Our idea is not to build a new thing that no one has think about that, but it's like this idea of renewing. And when we go in the second part of the report to the proposals about pedagogy and curriculum and schools and teachers, you can feel very easily that we are relying in historical traditions that are very strong and that we are, in a sense, elevating these historical traditions and that we are not bringing extraordinary things that are totally new and that uh, no one has thought about them before. You are absolutely right in, in your reading of the report. So can we dive into perhaps an example in that second half of the report where you do go into these different sort of, in a sense, traditional features of schooling, teachers in schools? Like for teachers, what sort of principles, I think that's what you put at the end of every chapter, sort of guiding principles that we, we might begin to consider when we think about the future of these different aspects of the grammar of schooling and, and the state's role. So for teachers, for instance, how can we begin to think anew about teachers in the futures of education? In all this second part, and so this second part, we have five chapters, pedagogy, curriculum, teachers, schools, and adult education, so our lifelong education or whatever. So we have these five 
with five sections. And if you want the, a key to read all these sections, the key is the word together. Together, mm. that's the key. Or in a sense, we play with together, we play with Kamen. Sometimes we play with this concept that was brought by Ivan Illich in the 70s of conviviality. The message is together. And together in pedagogy, it goes in pedagogies of cooperation and solidarity. So putting students together and together with the teachers, building on this tradition of cooperation or solidarity that was so strong in France, for instance, with, with Frenet, with the French educator Frenet, mm. but also with many other educators in the 20s, in the 30s. And so we are in what in French we call the movements of uh, popular education. So it was uh, this idea of putting people together in building something. The, the same idea applies to the curriculum. And so the together in the curriculum is about teams and problems. Let's try to organize teams and to, to organize projects and to organize research projects and to organize a relation with knowledge that builds this idea of the together. And when we go to teachers, the together translates mainly in the idea of a collaborative profession, in the idea mm -hmm. of teachers going from an individual work, I teacher in my classroom with my students giving my lesson, to a kind of collaborative profession. So how can we build collaboration inside the profession without going into the idea that collaboration means a kind of we forcing the teachers to collaborate. That's not the idea. The idea is how can we organize the space? How can we organize the time? How can we organize mm. the curriculum in a way that collaboration is needed, that you cannot anymore avoid collaboration? And so in terms of the teachers, the most important transition that we are advocating here in the report is this kind of transition from an individual profession to a much more collaborative or cooperative profession. I, I really love that idea of together being sort of woven across so much of how we think of education and schooling. But it makes me think that there must be some things that we must unlearn to achieve that togetherness. So in the report, do you go into you know certain ideas that today might be common, but in the futures we might say we need to abandon them or unlearn those ideas. It's mainly, we play in some moments of the report with ideas, things that we need to unlearn and things that we need to learn. Hmm. And mainly when we go to the things that we need to unlearn are related with all forms of discrimination, all forms of discrimination, discrimination of girls, discrimination of some communities, not uh, discrimination in terms of patriarchy, in terms of racism, uh, the need for decolonizing, decolonization of the curriculum, of pedagogy, of education. Also the needs, it was very strong throughout the report, uh, mainly because one of the members of the International Commission that advocate a lot for that, our colleague from Peru, Tarsila Rivera, the needs for different epistemologies, different cosmologies, different ways of thinking, different mm -hmm. ways of knowing, mainly of indigenous, indigenous peoples and communities. And so everything that we need to unlearn is on the side of discriminations, of exclusions, and also because it plays a very important role in the report, the idea of the planet 
in peril. So our relation with the planet, our relation with, as we say in the report, a more than human world. And so we need the new humanism that it's more than human. It's a kind of uh, playing with the words. And so to unlearn certain ways of, of connecting with the planets, certain ways of thinking about economic growth, of thinking about the world, whatever. And so those are, in a sense, the things that we think that we need to unlearn. And on the other side, what we need to learn is, of course, about cooperation, about inclusion, about mm. the new relation with the planet, without the new relation with the other human beings, with uh, all forms of diversity. And the paradox, which is not a paradox, but for some people could be, it's the idea that we can only build the common if we recognize diversity. The common is not, it's not a kind of homogenizing concept. On the contrary, the common needs to recognize all different forms of diversity, all different forms of thinking, of knowing, of living. And so that's the, in a sense, the way how we introduce in the first part, the report and the ambition of the report for a new social contract for education. I would imagine the role of the state becomes quite problematic, perhaps at times, when it comes to things like exclusion and discrimination that we're saying we need to unlearn, because a lot of states use exclusion and discrimination by way of cultivating a sense of nationalism and a sense of unity among a certain group of people and potentially those at the elite level. So I can see there would be a big tension between some of this, the call to unlearn discrimination and exclusion while doing so through the structures of the state. That's absolutely for sure. We are, you are absolutely right. So we, we are not naive. We are not naive. We saw that we live in a world that uh, more than half, and I'm being very prudent, more than half of the states, more than half of the people live in authoritarian regime, in dictatorships, in mm. non-democratic states. And so we are not naive. We know that and we know all the difficulties of, uh, uh, of building something uh, inside these kind of states and uh, whatever. But our proposals to discuss with the world is we want education to be a global common good. And when we say a global common good, we say a global common responsibility. What we are saying, we are not saying it very directly in the report because it was impossible to say in the report what I'm saying to you now, but that's my conviction, is that we cannot say that education is mainly something of a national responsibility. It's impossible to say that in our UNESCO report because UNESCO is an intergovernmental organization and you can never say that, of course, that we don't say that. But in a sense, when we build the concept of global common responsibility and when we put this concept together with idea of global democratic citizenship, we play with these two concepts, mm. we are saying that it's more than a national responsibility. And at the same time that all the world is now recognizing that the health problems are not national, that the health problems can only be solved through international cooperation and understanding that they, the virus and the COVID, they don't stop 
at the borders of any state or any country, we need to have the similar approach to education mm. and saying, yes, the problems of education of a girl in Afghanistan, it's my problem. It's a global problem. It's a global responsibility. It's not only a problem of the state of Afghanistan. And of course that we are very proud. I'm saying things that are not written in the report, but in a sense, I believe that some paragraphs of the report, if you read it carefully, they go into this direction. And I think that is the direction that we need to follow up. And mm -hmm. so in terms of empowering teachers, educators in many places of the world and saying, we are with you, we are together with you, national communities, people that write this report at UNESCO, people in many places in the world, we are saying the, the same thing that you, our fights are our fights. And that's probably what I can expect from the report. If I expect something from the report is that people in very different countries of the world read the report and say, I'm not alone. There are people mm -hmm. somewhere in the world that are also thinking like me, are also trying to do experiences in education, are trying to innovate, are trying to do different things. And that's, I think, the best mm -hmm. that this report can achieve. And I hope it will achieve this uh, this mission of, uh, of uh, talking to teachers, to educators, to communities all around the world, and also in many of the authoritarian states and authoritarian regimes, and that people feel that they are not alone. And so just one sort of last question before we wrap up. What would that mean for private actors that have proliferated in the last few decades operating in education? How do they fit into this future that you're imagining? That's one of the main problems. And it was one of the main discussions inside the commission. It was not an easy discussion in the, in the commission about that. My view about that is that they are more than welcome if we never lose the public interest of education. If it's not for commercialization, if it's not for profit, if it's not for having, for taking in all stage education sectors and the public sectors and the public education, and it's happening all around the world, if we need to fight against this kind of tendencies. But of course, if they, if they can contribute for the public good, for the publicness of education, for if reinforcing education as a public endeavor, where everyone is sitting in the same place around the same discussions and we don't separate people, we don't separate uh, 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 children from one community from another or from one background from another background. If they can contribute to that, that will be very helpful and important. But I'm not being naive and I know that the privatization and the global educational industry is growing and growing and growing, and it grows again with the pandemic and with uh, the, the platform imperialism and whatever, and we have a fight. We have a fight in front of us. Educators around the world who believe in education as public, uh, as a common good, we have a fight. But hopefully this report will help also in this kind of fight, going into directions that people can say, no, no, I'm not, it's not only me that I'm saying something. These people at UNESCO, these, these people, they are saying the same thing. So let's go together in this kind of discussion, engaging in this kind of discussion 
But of course, what we are pointing is it's a very important, as it is a very important issue. We did not talk about that, but before ending, I would like to, to talk about that. The importance of higher education. Universities and higher education institutions, they are all around the world. They are very powerful. They have very important uh, uh, budgets. They have, in fact, my university, which is the University of Lisbon, it's not a big university. My university has an annual budget that is more than the annual budget of UNESCO. It's a small university in a sense. It's an important university for Portugal, but Portugal is a small country. And so universities, we have the resources, we have people, we have researchers, we have scientists, and we need to put higher education much more connected with uh, primary and uh, secondary schooling, uh, and also with primary schooling and with the first years of schooling. And so this connection needs to be uh, much more stronger. And throughout the report, in each chapter of the report, we dedicate a section to higher education, saying higher education has a very important and a very strong responsibility in building Mm -hmm. Or in renewing this social contract for education. Well, Antonio Nova, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. It was a really a pleasure to talk to you today, and congratulations on this absolutely wonderful report, or non-report. Thank you very much. Antonio Novoa is a professor at the University of Lisbon and member of UNESCO's International Commission on the Futures of Education. You can download the Futures of Education report on Wednesday, November 10th. I provided a link in the show notes where you can do so. A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Fresh Ed's team includes Sherry Yang, Fatih Aktas, Obafemi Ngunle, Dion Jiang, Annabella Afroboteng, Anya Lin, Phyllis Che Mensa, and Jose Neto. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements, and is made possible by the support of the Open Society Foundations, NORAG, the ShockDev Family Fund, and listeners like you. Please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.